1: Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. If you've been trying to get a handle on your anger, you've likely read tips for calming down like take a deep breath and counting to 10. My guest today argues that while those tactics might serve as a band-aid in the short term, truly getting control of your anger has to begin long before you have a blow-up. His name is David Lieberman. He holds a PhD in psychology and is the author of several books, including his latest, Never Get Angry Again. We begin our conversation discussing talking about what happens in our minds and body when we get angry, the ill effects anger can have on our health and relationships, and why common anger management advice isn't very effective. David then digs deeper into the root cause of most anger issues and walks us through what you can do to address and solve them. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is anger. All right, David Lieberman, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brett. Pleasure. So you got a new book out, Never Get Angry Again, The Foolproof Way to Stay Calm and in Control in Any Conversation or Situation. Now, over the years, since I've been doing The Art of Manliness on the website and the podcast, and I've gotten a lot of emails from guys saying they've had a problem with anger and something they want to get a handle on. I think a lot of people want to get a handle on their anger. But before we get into that, like, why in your practice and your experience working with people, why do, why do we get
0: angry? Uh, a million dollar question. So- There are many layers to that, but at the root of it is that our desires, our goals, our expectations are not met. We feel threatened. Sometimes it's a mask for other emotions. But even beyond that, we find that anger comes because of a fear, and that fear is always rooted in the Fear that I'm not good enough, that I'm not lovable enough, I'm not worthy enough, which is why whenever we get angry, it is always preceded by a fear that we are going to be taken advantage of. We're going to be ridiculed. We're not in charge. It comes from sort of feeling vulnerable. And anger is a response to that fear.
1: So Yoda was right, right? In the Star Wars movie, I think he's talking about fear leads to anger and anger leads to the dark side. Oh. <laughs> Yes, I
0: suppose Yoda said it before I did.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, so in your experience, have you noticed that men have problems with anger more than women? And if so, or if not,
0: why do you think that's the case? Uh, Yeah, so what's interesting is there's conflicting research on that. And in doing research for the book, I found that at first we thought, yes, men have more anger issues than women. And then other research indicated maybe not so because women tend to internalize their anger. So while men may express it overtly, women may express it maybe more passively. Anyone that's been married can testify to that. And then beyond that, that anger may also manifest in terms of feelings of guilt, insecurity, and shame. So it's turned inward. But the emotion itself I think is fairly evenly distributed amongst the sexes, even though some preliminary research had showed that men are more prone to anger than women.
1: So that that raises an interesting question. Anger can manifest itself differently. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, And as a consequence, they miss out on, you know, whether they're experiencing anger or whether someone else is experiencing anger. So I think when most people think of anger, they think of like, you know, stereotypical guy turning red, yelling, screaming, swearing, But beyond that, how else can it manifest itself?
0: That's that's true, right. And not only is important for us to understand how anger can manifest for ourselves, but also in our relationships, because... You know, we can't operate on the assumption that just because somebody didn't scream at us, that our behavior was acceptable. So there's generally four sort of responses to anger, and they mirror what's called the fight, flight, or freeze response. It used to be called the fight or flight, but now it's flight, fight, freeze. And it's either assertive aggressive, where we come out sort of fighting, attempting to control the situation, as you mentioned. Then you've got the passive aggressive which parallels the flight where anger leaks out in more subtle ways because a person is unable to confront directly. They sort of seek to control stealthily and they're not able to sort of stand up for themselves or don't feel like they're able to, but they're going to even the score. They're going to exact justice one way or the other. Another way anger can manifest is in sort of a surrender or suppression. And that is when a person's unable to consciously acknowledge their anger. So they either tell themselves that they're not worthy of asserting themselves, meaning, you know what, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, who am I to go ahead and say this person is wrong? Or they suppress their emotions and tell themselves they're not really angry to begin with. And the issue there, obviously, that's uh, the suppression, is it ends up resulting in a host of physiological causes such as anything from uh, anxiety to depression to, to feeling a lot of like back pain and it manifests in a host of, of sort of physical symptoms. And then finally is the immobilization. And that's when a person is very angry. They feel powerless, but they're not able to even acknowledge the the pain or the fear. So they really just shut down. It's sort of like if you've got you know your toaster plugged in and there's a firestorm or a, a, a thunderstorm, you'd unplug it to avoid it getting overloaded. So this person can't deal with the, the pain of anger at all. And they just shut down, shut out the world just to avoid feeling that pain.
1: So let's talk about that passive aggressive, because I think a lot of people have probably experienced that or maybe people do it and they're not realizing it. So you're not expressing, you're not asserting your anger, right? Like you're not saying, Hey, this is upsetting me. Instead, you're doing things. You're still angry, but you might do something like if you have a job and your boss asks you to do something, you turn it in late or you do sort of a sloppy job, maybe on purpose or unconsciously.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I I would say that Passive aggressive is probably the most devastating to relationship because even though all anger should be dealt with responsibly in a healthy way, if you are sort of aggressive and you've got that sort of screaming, yelling, at least you know where you stand and the other person does as well. Passive aggressive, it it damages the relationship because... We're looking to exact justice. We're looking to even the score. And as you say, it could be conscious, could be subconscious, and we'll go ahead and you know forget to do something. We'll turn something in late. We'll inconvenience our spouse or our coworker. And it causes friction in the relationship because they're going to then get upset with us but once again, we're not able to confront that. We're not able to stand up. So it sort of ingrains further into more passive-aggressive behavior, and it's it can be very, very damaging in our relationships.
1: And what often happens is once the the passive-aggressive person gets called out on it, they, they, they continue the manipulation, as you said. They say, well, no, it's not me. This is you. It's your problem. And it's like, well, no.
0: That's right. You're not going to find a person engaging in passive-aggressive behavior to suddenly acknowledge their responsibility and say, yeah, you know what? Because the decision to not confront generally doesn't happen at the conscious level. So they feel wronged, but if they were able to confront that wrong at the moment, they would have. So there's no reason to think that they're now able to go ahead and confront their passive aggressive behavior once they're called out on it.
1: And that other, that sort of, you know, you've exper- well, you experience anger, but like you deny it, Uh, that sort of freeze uh, thing. We've had a lot of people on talking about like the nice guy syndrome, right? Where a lot of guys they'll experience anger, but they're like, no, I'm a nice guy. I'm not angry. And they just keep pushing it down, pushing it down. And as you said, lead to anxiety, depression, but also it can eventually lead to like a big giant blow up that would, (laughs) that, that could do a lot more damage.
0: That's, that's quite true. That's quite true because anger does need a, a release valve of sorts. And when we suppress it and look, you know, it, it, if you want the world to see you as a nice guy, or most likely, you know, the person grew up in a house where they weren't allowed to express themselves, or when they did, it was shut down. So this is how they learned to deal with their anger. And they would tell themselves that, oh, it just rolls right off me. It doesn't ruffle my feathers. It doesn't matter. Now, if that were true, then this guy would be fantastic. His ego wouldn't be involved and he'd be on a very high level. But if, in fact, he's selling himself a pack of lies because he doesn't want to acknowledge the anger because he doesn't know what he's going to do with it, he will suppress it. And as you say, it will either just tear him apart from the inside or it will lead to an overt explosion, which can be quite devastating and damaging, not only to himself, but to his relationship.
1: Now, it sounds like uh, we, what we've been talking is that anger can be useful because it's sort of a signal to you that something's going wrong and that it, you need to do something to fix it. Now, there's now the, the question is, like, how do you go about Fixing that. So, I mean, would you say like anger is not a completely terrible emotion? It's useful if it's used in the right way.
0: You know, I'd say yes and no. And I I know it's you know it sounds like I'm covering my bases here, but you know, there's an expression that you know anger lies in the in the bosom of fools, meaning that if you have anger on the table to pull out of your tool belt at any point when you feel you're justified, the problem is when you're in the situation, you're going to assume that it's justified. And, you know, no one ever walked away from a conversation and said, you know what? I wish I would have gotten angrier. I would have been able to handle myself so much better. You know, when you're angry, you're not seeing through a clear objective lens. You're seeing through distorted emotions. And while it does increase your acuity and it brings a lot of, you know, your attention and emotional and mental resources and focuses it, at the same time, you're not able to process your world with the proper perspective. So you are going to be inclined to act irresponsibly, recklessly and go overboard. So quite frankly, I tell people take it off the table completely. Could you have used that anger and uh, capitalized on it in one out of a hundred cases. Sure. But I'd rather be wrong one out of a hundred than to use it 99 out of a hundred, knowing that I too quickly went for that angry response. Because if you think about it, if you said to yourself, I'm not going to get angry no matter what happens the entire day. You're going to have an entirely different day than if you said, okay, fine, if I get angry, it'll be justified. But in there lies a problem. When you are in that moment, your perspective is narrowed, your ego's engaged, and you're going to assume it's justified when, through the objective lens of clarity and a little more perspective, you would have realized that it was not called for.
1: Well, yeah, you you devote a section of the book about what happens to our brain whenever we get angry. As you said, it, it has you can like focus us and narrow our attention, but that has some downsides because, as you said, you're not really seeing the bigger picture where you you can see other options, other solutions. You're just narrowed in on that one one thing.
0: Yeah, no, I, sorry. Ask yourself the question is, you know, who would you rather, rather go to battle with? Somebody who is just, you know, flying in a blind rage or somebody who is cool, calculated, you know, very cognitively aware. And clearly you'd rather go into battle against the guy who's just not thinking clearly. And you could say, oh, he's got, you know, a lot of it. And when a person does become angry, the nervous system releases, whether it's adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol. But what's interesting actually about cortisol, which is also are responsible for weight gain called the stress hormone. It, cortisol actually interferes with the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain responsible for executive functioning. It literally makes us dumb. It interferes with our ability to process information clearly. So we have a physiological basis for the fact that anger clouds our judgments and while certainly yes there, there are some limited advantages i would much rather go into a situation with the objective lens of clarity than have my perspective clouded by emotions
1: right a great example if you can see that in real time of cortisol and anger making you dumb like social media is people get angry and so they they do something right away and they usually type something that they regret day later
0: Oh gosh. Yes. Yeah, sometimes two seconds later. I think WhatsApp now has something where you could pull back. You know, how many times do people send off a text and then they send a correction two seconds later when all it would have taken them with those same two seconds to do a, you know, a spell check and to realize that, you know, it autocorrected something ridiculous. But we have that just visceral response where we want to answer back. And yeah, it, it invariably will produce conversations and interactions that are just not productive.
1: So besides the psychological downsides of anger, it makes you dumber, you make poorer decisions, there's physiological. So you mentioned cortisol. If you're constantly exposed to cortisol, it causes weight gain, which is not good for health. But any other like physiological downsides of being angry all the time?
0: Sure. In the short term, you've got anxiety, high blood pressure, headache. Th- these are symptoms that manifest instantaneously. And certainly the long-term damage on your emotional health and your relationships is incalculable.
1: So let's talk about what we can do about this. And you argue that the typical anger management advice doesn't work in the long run. So before we get to why you think that doesn't work, like what is the typical anger management advice that you see out there?
0: Right. So, you know, you have your basic take deep breaths, visualize your happy place. And there's some, you know, cognitive behavioral sort of reframing. And it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book was, you know, yes, there are some gaps in terms of, I I think, traditional advice. But even from our own perspective, I mean, when was the last time you were really upset? You took a deep breath. You visualized you know, your happy place or something else. And then you instantaneously calm down. You know it may work for the smaller stuff, but when you're entering a situation and you're, you know, you, you are already enraged, it's very, very hard to sort of talk yourself down from that.
1: Okay. So what what is the solution then? Like, how do we if those things I mean, if they can work sometimes, but not all the time? I guess the goal is to like not even have to go to that. Like, you don't you get to the point where you don't even need to use those things. So like, what what are we looking at here?
0: That's right. One one of the reasons why the book has gotten so much attention is because it shows you how to avoid getting to that fork in the road where you find yourself fighting against your own nature. Meaning that if you enter the situation with a wide enough perspective and you realized ahead of time that this is something that's inconsequential, you're going to forget about it 10 minutes, 10 days, 10 years. You're not even going to remember it happened. So in much the same way that you're in a situation at the moment, When you've got that clarity of perspective after the fact, you're not going to be bothered. So what if you were able to bring that same perspective that you would have after the fact into the moment, right? You would never find yourself bothered, certainly by little stuff. And even the bigger stuff, you're able to instantly frame in the proper perspective. And that's really what time gives us. Time gives us perspective. So by Entering these situations without your ego involved, you're not, ha- you don't have to fight against your own nature. You don't have to remain calm. You don't have to force yourself to do anything. You're naturally unbothered because of the gift of perspective gives you the ability to recognize that it simply doesn't matter. And most things we get upset about simply don't
1: matter. So basically, the, the, as we talked earlier, the, the root of anger is fear. And that's fear comes from a very, when we have an ego-based view of life, right? Where we're just thinking about us
0: mm-hmm. and
1: what's in it for us. So what are some of the stories that our ego tells us, right? That we sort of, you know, it goes on internally that contributed to us getting angry about big things, but like even like little things like the guy cutting you off in traffic or your kid, you know, ignoring you. We get angry because there's a story that we're, we're, we're telling ourselves that, 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 that event means something.
0: That's right. That's right. And that story, regardless of the narrative, always comes down to the same message. And that is that they don't care enough about me. They don't love me enough. They don't respect me enough. But let me give you an example. Let's say you're driving along and someone cuts you off on the road, right? Now, many of us have a tendency to see what this person looks like, right? Because who is going to typically bother us more? A nice little old lady driving, you know, when you just see her hat and her hands on the on the uh, steering wheel or a young guy driving with a beer bottle in one hand, cigarette in the other, music blasting from the the car. Who's going to generally bother us more, the little lady or the young guy?
1: The young guy, of course.
0: Right, of course, because we assume the nice little lady probably didn't see our car, but the young guy did it to me on purpose because he doesn't care enough. He doesn't respect me, blah, 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 blah. And if you appreciate the insanity of this, you're driving along, then you almost get into an accident, then you speed up risking your life to see what the person looks like, to see how angry you should be. I mean, it's sheer insanity. And, but that's what the ego does. It connects the dots. It makes everything about me when the truth is it has nothing to do with me. We treat other people based on how we feel about ourselves. You give love, you give respect. But when we have a inflated ego, we assume it's about us. And we're not able to see the other person's pain. We're focused on our own pain. So when you take your ego out of the equation, you can look at the other person with empathy, with compassion, with sympathy, and you're not absorbed in your own pain. And if you're not absorbed in your own pain, you're not going to get upset because you don't take it personally. And that's really what real anger management comes down to. Something happens, you take it personally, you get upset. Something happens, you don't get it personally, take it personally, you don't get upset. That's 25 years of therapy in a sentence. You know, so, you know, the degree to which we're able to take ourselves out of the equation is a degree to which we're going to manage our anger much more effectively because if our ego's not involved, there's nothing to get angry about.
1: Yeah, and I feel like the ego thing, it's... We tend yeah, as you said, we personalize things and we even like do the personalization for like, just like, you know, acts of God that like, you know, you'd have no, cl- like a hurricane. It's like, why, why me? It's like, well, the hurricane doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have any emotions. It doesn't care. It's just, it just
0: happened. Right, right. But and it's it's indiscriminate. It, it, does, it doesn't discriminate. And that's just it. And you can tell, as you know, I've done a lot of work with reading people and and body language and emotional health in that the more personal I per, uh, personally people take things that have nothing to do with them the less emotionally healthy they are. So when they begin to say that, you know, it it was a thunderstorm and it rained, you know, God doesn't love me because he doesn't want me to have a picnic today. You know, those are things that are indicative of somebody who's really personalizing a bit too much. And even, again, at the highest level, if somebody legitimately does something to you but you realize it really doesn't have anything to do with you. Yes, it is to you. But once again, we treat other people based on how we feel about ourselves. So their capacity is limited. The fact that somebody can't love me, the fact that somebody can't give me respect, the fact that somebody can't show me the attention or the, or give me the accolades and praise that I feel I deserve. If my ego is not involved, I recognize it's their limitation. It's not mine. But if my ego is engaged, I'm going to assume they're doing this because there's something wrong, there's something lacking, there's something broken, bad, or defective about me, and that's what makes me so angry.
1: Well, so how do how do you get to that point where you personalize everything, where you think it's all about you and people do things to you or things happen to you because you're defective, you deserve it, you're inadequate? Like, How do you get to that point? Because there's some people who you know, don't really have that problem, but other people who really have that problem. So what was the difference between those two people?
0: Right, so first, you will not find a person that has anger issues, that did not have some sort of childhood trauma, tragedy, abuse, And it's so sad, but the scars and the imprint on our emotional health that childhood leaves is, is very, very difficult to undo unless the person is able to revisit it. And I'd like to share with you a fantastic technique to accomplish that. But before that, is that To answer your question is that we've got this thing called shame. Now there's legitimate shame and some people tell you all shame is toxic and it's not true. There's legitimate shame that when you act beneath your level, when you do something that is just not you and afterwards you feel a little bit maybe disturbed or disgusted and you know, you think back and you think that was unconscionable. I I can't believe I did that. That's legitimate shame and shame is the voice of our conscience that says, Hey, you know what? You did something that was beneath you and it's a self correcting mechanism to wake us up up to take responsibility and to move forward. But if we're not willing to do that, we sort of double down and the ego then justifies, minimizes, blames, rationalizes, whatever it can to avoid feeling that pain. At the core, we're still left with that stain of shame that says, I'm not lovable. Now that's legitimate shame. And there's ways to deal with that. Unfortunately, we acquire, as I said before, toxic shame, and that comes courtesy of childhood, where we, because children by definition are completely egocentric, right? And that's okay, that's their job. We know adults like this as well, but at least children have an excuse for it. So for example, let's say you've got a seven-year-old boy whose father comes back and screams and yells at him. That child is never gonna say, well, you know what, dad just had a hard day at work. Let him go ahead and have a cocktail, let him calm down and he'll be okay. No, the child's going to assume that there's something wrong with him because he's egocentric. He takes everything personally. How people treat him is a direct reflection of his self-worth. That's his equation. So as he transitions to adulthood, he walks around with that same stain of shame that says how I'm treated by other people is a reflection of my self-worth. And when you're able to undo that and you realize that your self-worth does not hinge on somebody's acceptance of you, not only is it very freeing emotionally, but you will find that you're going to be living anger free. And how do, you, how do you do
1: that? I mean, you mentioned there's like something we can do to sort of help unpack that.
0: Right, so there's a whole protocol and I've worked with really hard, their whole reason why I got into this was because as, as you may know, I do a lot of work with law enforcement and techniques of interview and interrogation. And I found that, you know, you had otherwise decent people who just in a moment of anger or rage completely upended their life. And I said that there, there has to be a way to help people before they get, you know, into this situation. And that's the genesis of how I, I began with the book. And first is the appreciation, the acknowledgement that just because somebody can't love me doesn't make me unlovable. And that goes even to the core of childhood. And the way I explain it to people is like this, you know, you ever watch a movie or read a book and, you know, the ending is just amazing. And it was like a big twist, like the sixth sense comes to mind, right? You sort of replay back the entire movie in your life and you recast everything through this new awareness, or you read a book and the ending is maybe, uh, you know, a twist of an ending. You sort of replay everything back. So while we can't go back in time, we can give new meaning to the experiences from our childhood. And when we look at it in a different light and we're able to recognize that just because my mother wasn't able to give me the love and respect that I needed and deserved or just because my father yelled at me or abused me doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. When a person really owns that, then they're free.
1: Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made to measure suit. a lot of fun, and then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. And now back to the show. I like that. And, I, and one thing I've that's helped me too with anger is like, so typically our brains are like hypersensitive to negative, right? Like we're looking constantly vigilant for any negative things that happen to us. Yeah. So when the guy cuts you off, you think, well, that guy, that jerk disrespects me and everyone disrespects me. Then you have to stop like, no, not everyone disrespects me. Like my kids like me, my wife likes me, my friends like me. Like, Like focusing on all the things that got going good in your life. Like really puts things in perspective for you.
0: It sure does. And we've got this term in, you know, in psychology, we label everything. Uh, It's called negativity bias, which speaks to that exact point or confirmation bias also. And that is that, you know, if you believe something to be true, you're going to not only look for that, but you're going to manifest, you're going to create, you're going to live a life that tells that narrative and that fulfills that story of yours. So your entire sort of existence and as awful and as sad as this is, so many people do this. We live a life of masks and games and we really go into hiding to avoid facing the pain of our reality. And we want we have a story to be told. And if our story is I'm no good, I'm not lovable, then we're going to bring that to fruition no matter what it takes. And so not only will we will look for it, but we're going to go ahead and manifest it. And these are the people that will read into things, they'll connect dots that don't exist. And it's almost like a, a form of, of of paranoia where they'll begin to make connections only to tell the story that they've been telling themselves for so long. And a person like this would rather be right than be happy.
1: Yeah, no, I've seen that happen in my own life and in other people's lives as well. Like you're so used to the story, like you know, it's the devil you know. You just keep going with that because it's so familiar and comfortable.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, and once again, it's so sad is because people live lives that are, they're barely scratching the surface of their potential, but it is comfortable and they ensconce themselves in their pain and they tell themselves a story because this is all they know. And the ego sort of is, it tells them and feeds them the message that, this is the truth. And when you're able to sort of cast it aside and connect with other people and appreciate your worth, you know, you'll find that this veil of anger just lifts off you because you're no longer looking to confirm, you know, some distorted truth that you're not worthy. And in fact, that if somebody can't treat you properly, you could see, you could focus in that they're the ones that are in pain and you don't have to be in pain.
1: And yeah, so this is accepting the reality that you have and accepting the pain, but it doesn't mean you have to approve of it, right? I think a lot of people confuse accepting as approval. That's not necessarily the case. You just have to accept, okay, this happened to me. This was bad, but it is part
0: of the reality, but it's not the whole reality. That's right. And that's a great point. And and the acceptance versus approval hangs up in our relationships as well. And also with our own self-esteem, meaning that I can accept me and love me 100% and I accept and love my kids 100%. And I always tell them there's nothing they can do that would make me not accept them. It doesn't mean I approve of everything they do. And it doesn't mean that I approve of everything that I do. And, and there are behaviors that I engage in that I, I, I work on and I have regrets and I try and make it right and move forward. But when we conflate the two, when we say that I can't accept a person or accept me unless I approve and have this sort of perfectionist mentality, then we are throwing the baby out with the bathwater and we're living up to some sort of unrealistic expectation that everything has to be just so in order to have acceptance. And it's not the case. I can accept me 100% unconditionally. I can accept my wife and I can accept my kids. And now we roll up our sleeves because the thing is this, Brad, if, if you, let's say you plug into your GPS that you wanted to go from where you are to, I don't know, Toronto, Canada. The first thing the GPS has to locate is where you are. So the beginning of growth, the beginning of moving forward begins with acknowledging and accepting who you are, where you are, how you are right now. But you're never going to go from point A to point B unless you accept you're at point A. So I'm never going to work on myself. I'm never going to be able to get rid of my anger. I'm never going to improve my relationships if I refuse to accept the reality that exists.
1: And I'm sure that that find you know figuring out what that reality that exists that might involve other people too. Maybe talking to a therapist, talking to your friends and families, so they you can get a better idea. Because if you know if it's just you, your ego might tell you a story that's probably not true.
0: Yeah, and you know what? That's so true. Is our ego will tell us. A lot of stories and and none of them true because the last thing the ego wants to do is accept responsibility. And, you know, the one thing even the wisest of men can't achieve on their own is objectivity, which is why it does make sense to talk it over with a friend, you know, a trusted confidence, someone that knows you, trusts you, respects you, likes you, that can give you a objective sort of reality check. Because when our ego is involved, you're right. We're a piece of our own puzzle. We lack that perspective to see objectively, and we're gonna come up with a distorted conclusion. So yes, acceptance can very easily be gained more readily by speaking it over with somebody who can look at the situation and give us that objectivity that we don't always gain on our own. So one thing I
1: notice in my own life is a lot of my, you know, when I get angry, I it comes from when I feel someone's violating some personal boundary. Like, you know, the perfect example is getting cut off. Like the personal boundary is Man, like I had the right away, right? I was like sort of acknowledged, but this guy disregarded it and went in. But it also happened other places. The boss calls you on the weekend, right, and violates that, and you get angry, but you know you don't do anything about it. So, how do you get better at enforcing boundaries, but without going overboard, like being coming off as a jerk about it?
0: Sure, sure. That's that's a great question because it goes to the core of. A lot of people's anger issues. And that's sort of like this, you know, take, take a person that gets put in that proverbial no win where someone asks you something that, that you, you don't want to do. So if you don't do it, they're mad at you. And if you, you do do it, you're mad at you. And we sort of get boxed in, particularly if you've got the sort of people pleasing, you know, perpetual doormat mentality, which is a strong manifestation of anger, particularly passive aggressive, because a person doesn't feel like they can assert their boundaries invariably we find that boundary issues become distorted from childhood and that's because if my boundaries were traipsed over if someone didn't respect my boundaries uh, in one way or the other i don't have a clear sense of me and if i don't have a clear sense of me i don't have a clear sense of we now that may manifest into the person who becomes very arrogant very pushy and drip and and encroach into other people's boundaries or it may manifest into the person who's sort of that people-pleasing mentality that allows other people to come into their boundaries. So first, when I give workshops, I I let people know that, and, and, and often the people that come for anger management unless it's court ordered, are the ones who feel like other people are taking advantage of them. And I I say like this, you can't say yes, if you can say no, meaning that if you don't feel like you can stand up to the person and say no, then you're not really saying yes. Because if you do choose to do an act of kindness for somebody, that means you are making a choice. But if you feel like you're getting guilted into something, you're not secure enough to stand up, you don't think you can enforce your boundary, and you tell yourself, oh, I'm just being a nice guy, I'm going to go ahead and do it, why make a big deal about it, you're really not giving. And it's a difference between giving a donation and being robbed. In one case, $100 going out of your pocket, you feel very good, very empowering. The other case, you're being robbed, it's unempowering. Now, in both cases, $100 went out of your pocket, but one was a choice to give and the other wasn't. So... The beginning of setting boundaries first is to take a step back and ask yourself, Where is my boundary? In other words, what is accepted? What will I find proper? And am I legitimately choosing to give, or am I simply just rolling over and allow the person to take advantage of me? And people that have an issue asserting boundaries would do well to practice in a small way. And it can be very, very uncomfortable because I don't want to assert my boundaries because this person may reject me. They may tell me, you know what? I don't like you. And that's just going to reinforce my fear that I'm not lovable. And it's going to bring out all my feelings of shame that I'm not worthy. So I'm going to go ahead and give in because I don't want to feel the pain of somebody thinking that I'm not worthy. And that's why we allow people into our space. And when you appreciate that, at least intellectually, then you can begin to own it emotionally. And it once again, it is Fewer things are more empowering and infuse us with a greater sense of self-esteem than drawing a responsible boundary line and asserting ourselves in a situation where we feel somebody is taking advantage of us.
1: So you mentioned start off in a small way. What would be a small way to start off with that If if you're someone who has problems enforcing boundaries?
0: Right. So whether, generally try with somebody who's more safe that you feel is not going to run away, they're not going to give you a hard time, not going to reject you. And it could be with a good friend of yours, a coworker, your spouse, whomever it is, and just say, you know what, I, and you even let the person know, I'm working on trying to assert myself. And you can tell the person, you know what, there's nothing wrong with what you're asking. I appreciate it. But I am going to go ahead and I'm going to deny, decline your request. And you've got to get more comfortable. And it is a matter of comfort being okay with the fact that somebody may not like you. Because if you set out to have everyone like you, everyone like you, everyone appreciate you, everyone think you're great, it's the surest path to be a miserable human being. Because unfortunately, you have people out there who are not well. Forget about those that are actually suffer with a pathology such as you know psychopathy, you know, psychoses or sociopathy, sociopaths or narcissists. Forget about those people that are gonna run roughshod over you. Other well-meaning, well-intentioned people are going to be doing what makes sense. And just because it makes sense to them or for them doesn't mean it makes sense to you. And you can't act irresponsibly and give in to somebody because they're going to become upset with you. Because again, if you continue to do that, you're going to be upset with you and they don't need a reason to become mad at you. And if you're upset with you, then you are going to magnify and increase your own feelings of guilt and shame and inferiority, because all it does is reinforce the fact that you don't deserve to stand up for yourself. And so when you practice in these small ways and you realize the world will still spin and you're okay, just because you asserted yourself, you feel fantastic. And how you assert yourself, by the way, should always be with proper empathy and compassion. And as you say, not be a jerk about it, but I don't have to defend my right to assert my legitimate boundaries. And I don't have to give a person a thousand reasons and a thousand excuses. Sometimes no is a complete sentence. Yeah. And, and another thing to think about
1: too, is that, as you mentioned earlier, it can define the relationship, it sort of fine tune the definition of the relationship, right? So the the person who's asking you for something that you don't want to do, you say no. Well, now they know something new. They have new information. Now there might be some conflict, but now you guys can, you, if you accept the conflict, you can move forward and actually be proactive about it. Now it might mean you just go your separate ways or you look for another solution.
0: That's right. And and a person that tries to avoid asserting themselves to maintain the illusion of peace will find that they're not going to either have boundaries or peace. Every healthy relationship requires boundaries. And if you think that you're going to Just make things okay by allowing someone to traipse into your space when they're not welcomed, you're going to find that it keeps on coming up and up and up and again. And by drawing that line, you're right, you redefine the relationship and you've got proper and responsible boundary lines. And this person knows what's no longer accepted. And when they know it's no longer accepted, then they can make a choice. They'll either say, you know what, this relationship isn't worth it. In which case, then you know that they're only interested in the relationship because of what they can gain from it, or they're going to respect your boundaries, in which case it benefits both of you. But make no mistake, I tell people who are very, very sensitive, those perpetual people pleasers, the ones that have a hard time saying no, I said, if you can't say no for yourself, say no for the other person, because you do no favors by making easy for the bully or manipulator the bulldozer to run into you. You don't do them any favors by making it easy for them to take advantage of you. So it is selfless, meaning you're doing them the favor by asserting yourself.
1: So, I mean, it sounds like the goal, again, reiterating this point is the goal is, you know, we're not trying to manage anger at the point it happens. We might have to use some tactics for that uh, every now and then. You talk about some of those in the book. But the goal is to basically inoculate ourselves so we no longer have those angry emotions. And that involves, you know, reframing, changing the stories that we tell, our ego tells ourselves about ourselves. But besides that, sort of, then that, that's going to take a lot of work, it might take months, years uh, for that to happen. But what are some other things you can do to inoculate yourself from anger? So you see reality for what it really is and not just sort of this narrow, focused negativity bias that you typically have when you come from a place of anger.
0: Sure, sure. And I love that word inoculate. And that's, uh, that's a beautiful word. And that's exactly what we do here is once you have the shot, then you don't have to worry about putting yourself in a situation where the people have got those, you know, negative germs. They're not going to infect you. And there's two main things you can do to answer your question in brief. One is when you find yourself In that moment where you're feeling angry, the biggest mistakes, and I'm always surprised when people say this is the therapeutic advice they got, was to go ahead and just sort of shut it down and say, no, I'm not angry. It's not a big deal. And all they do is move into the world of illusion and they lie to themselves. And that's where the ego lives in the world of lies. Rather acknowledge. I am in pain. Right now, somebody either cut me off on the road, or my wife didn't do something I thought was important, or my coworker didn't do this, or my kids didn't do this. Acknowledge the fact that this is a moment to be in pain. But then here's the key, Brett. You have to ask yourself, which part of me is really in pain? Is it my soul or is it my ego? Is it the real me that's in pain or is it the part of me that craves respect, that craves honor, that craves appreciation, accolades, and so on? And so- by having an honest conversation with yourself, you'll find that the anger simply dissipates. Again, assuming that you've, you're have you at this fork, the ideal, as you say, is to inoculate yourself beforehand. But it's sort of like, if you're familiar with John Sarno's method about the back pain, is by not avoiding it, not ignoring it, by fully owning the emotion, it's processed completely out of you.
1: And, and you, what's another method? So there's that aspect,
0: um, what's uh, another thing? So, the other is, there's fascinating, there's a part of the brain, it's called the reticular activating system, and it acts as an antenna of sorts. You ever have the experience of having a conversation with somebody at a party, and you realize there's a much more interesting conversation happening about 10 feet away, and you sort of like mute the person in front of you, and you like tune in and pick up the other conversation, and that's what the reticular activating system does. It allows for us to hone in on what we deem as important or what we deem as interesting. In much the same way that if you know you're thinking of getting a new suit or a watch or a car, you suddenly see all of those suits and watches and cars on the road. Not that they didn't exist before, but the reticular activating system is honed in on it. So when you move through your day, looking for the good, looking for positive, looking having the perspective that. Things are good. And picking up on what you're grateful for, your antenna will sort of hone in on that. And your the entire rhythm, the cadence, the mood will be completely different than if you're always looking for the negative, always looking for areas where you're feeling disrespected or taking advantage of or being, you know, manipulated. If you hone in, look for the good, look for the positive in others, you begin to see it in other people, you'll see it in yourself, and you'll see it in your world.
1: And then when those conflicts happen, they don't bother you as much.
0: That's right, because also, you know, we talked about before, negativity bias and confirmation bias. I am going to find the reality that I expect to find time and time and time again. So if I expect that, my spouse is a good person who loves me. She's got her own faults as I do, but I already go into the situation knowing that she is good. She is um, a lovable person who loves me. We have a positive relationship. Whatever she does will be filtered through that. If I move through the day knowing the same thing about everyone else, it'll be filtered through that. And once again, whether we know the person, don't know the person, they cut us off, whether it's, is something that happens in a moment or something that we've been leading up to. If we don't take it personally, we can't become upset. But the minute we assume that somebody else's behavior is a reflection of my self-worth, I'm now fighting against my own nature. I'm fighting an uphill battle, and I'm going to have a hard time managing my anger. But if I'm able to instantly come into it with the proper perspective, my ego's not engaged, and I'm simply not angry.
1: Well, David, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to
0: learn more about your work? They can go to, I suppose, uh, my website, which is com, and also on Amazon. I've got a number of books, and um, I've got some, some workshops and some different programs. But I, I just encourage, and it doesn't have to be really, quite frankly, my book on anger, but if, if you've got an anger issue, It is something that you will be surprised at even no matter what the root is, even if it's childhood, even if it's rooted in something very, very significant, you don't have to walk around with the anger anymore. If you can free yourself from it, you'll just live a different quality of life and encourage anyone with any anger issue to do what they can to try to eradicate it because the entire their entire emotional framework will be different and the relationships will be forever transformed.
1: Well, David Lieberman, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure.
0: Brett, you are amazing. You've got a fantastic show. I wish you lots of good luck with everything. Thank you.
1: Thank you. My guest is is Dr. David Lieberman. He's the author of the book, Never Get Angry Again. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can also find out more information about his work at his website, drdavidlieberman.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is anger, where you can find links to resources, where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the A1 Podcast. Check out our website, artifmanless.com, where you can see our podcast archives. We've got over 480 episodes there. You also see thousands of articles we've written over the years about personal finance, stress management, relationships, you name it, we've got it. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay. I remind you not only listen to the A1 Podcast, but put what you've heard into action.